How are oh, you? Uh, I, I, I'm well. Um, I'm, I'm excited for this another episode of a priest and a rabbi, and that there's people in Swaziland right now uh, listening to this um, on Podbean. It says we got a, a nice, nice outreach. And I just want to remind everyone who's listening, because we don't do this a lot, for you to subscribe. So, so, so just, just, just subscribe wherever you're at. Just subscribe on it. I don't care if you're on Stitcher, if you're on Apple, whatever. We, we love, we love all the podcast platforms. And share this with one person, one person who would probably be really offended by what we're saying, because they'll probably be more likely to leave comments and say terrible things about us. But like Cardi B said, your haterade helps us move forward. So just it helps. Look, I, I, I just recently saw that we're, we're not in 55 countries anymore. I think we're in 59 countries around the world. Hot dog. Yeah, Hot 48 dog. states. Um, pretty international. So we got so last week we went international by having an international guest. We brought it back to North America. This so so you are responsible for our guest today. What is it all about, and how does he relate to the other two people we had on these last couple of weeks? Yeah, so you know we 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 for those that have followed us for the last few weeks, we looked at uh, three weeks ago. We had um, um, the you know provost and the principal of um, Virginia Theological Seminary looking at how we are training our Episcopal priests and what the program is looking like and, you know, how we've been able to adapt uh, and, and, and bring in technology in some way during a, a difficult and challenging time. Last week, we had Rabbi Deborah Khan Harris here, who is the principal of Leo Beck College, um, you know, talking from a European perspective, what Europe is, and certainly as we saw and are well aware, Europe currently, or at least Britain currently, is on uh, very strict lockdown measures. And then uh, this week, uh, I'm real excited. I have Rabbi Andrew Goodman here from Hebrew Union College, Jewish Institute of Religion in New York City, uh, which is the uh, premier uh, rabbinical seminary for training of rabbis, of cantors, of Jewish educators, as well as beyond. Um, um, they are based in four campuses around the world, Cincinnati, New York, Los Angeles, and of course, in the source in Jerusalem. Uh, but it is, uh, I, I'm super thrilled. I got to bring in, I get to bring in a, a, a colleague and a buddy of mine, um, Andrew Goodman. So Rabbi Goodman, welcome. Thank you. It's exciting to be here. Um, it is, uh, Matt and I used to serve pulpits a lot, um, not too far away from each other in the grand scheme of things. It still was about two and a half hours away, but for a couple of years, we were each other's lifeline. So it's, um, Got to roller skate, do some guitar hero, just got to spend some time. And it's uh it is an honor to be asked. It's an honor to be with y'all. Thank you. Well, let's not waste any more time, y'all. Let's get to it. A priest and a rabbi continuing part three of a series on how do you form leaders during times of chaos. We have Andrew Goodman coming your way from the Hebrew Union College, Jewish Institute of Religion. Get ready, buckle your seatbelts, gentlemen. You ready to roll? Born ready. Bring it. He's born ready. All right, y'all, let's get ready and we'll see you on the flip side. A priest, a rabbi, a priest, a rabbi, a priest, a rabbi. The opinions you hear from on this show do not represent WSTU, since they probably regretted over allowing the show on the air in the first place. Nor do they represent Temple Beit Hayam or St. Mary's Episcopal Church, since they also wonder what the heck they did when they called these two men to lead their respective congregations. On that note, sit back, relax, grab your Bible or a Torah, and enjoy another episode of 
a priest, and a rabbi. Good morning, Stuart, Florida. It is I, Rabbi Durbin, and Father Christian Anderson from St. Mary's in Temple Beit Yam, who uh, are here this morning uh, to bring yet again a, another riveting and exciting uh, program of a priest and a rabbi. So, Father Anderson. I just want to notice, you know, the yet again was your, your, your Queen's English came out a little bit there. Uh, yet again. And uh, there's this love you have, and I don't feel the love for Canada. I feel the love you have for the United Kingdom. And, and so uh, I want to point it out to our listeners. Anyone who's our avid listeners of a priest and a rabbi, all five of you, uh, know that uh, Rabbi Durbin um, has this. This he's a little bit of an Anglophile, and it sneaks into his speech as well. But then, but then the Canadian accent will come out, uh, which is really the most prevalent. So, were you aware? You said again. Yeah. Sir? Okay, I just felt like I was in the episode of The Crown. All right, so what are we talking about today, man? I do it, I do it because I'm a former Commonwealth country. I'm a Commonwealth country. I pay my homage to, to, to the great land of, of Britain. Okay, yeah, colonialism is hot. I mean, it's really good. So, so. Um, so that's why you come to America, right? You're going to get that American citizenship soon. Listen, you didn't come here to talk about citizenship with the priest and the rabbi. You came here to talk about how do we look at relevant topics through the uh, Judeo-Christian lens. So if you came for that, great. If you didn't, please stick around. The number here is 772-280. Just check, you know, Rabbi Durbin will say it later. Call in because we have another awesome guest today. The last two weeks, this is part three of a series on how do we form leaders during, uh, during times of chaos. Um, and we all know that we find a deeper relationship often with God during times of chaos. You reveal God, not during the calm waters, but during times of a tempest, as Sheikh's spouse said. Thanks to your little accent there, Durbin. Um, so we got a great guest today who dude, Rabbi Durbin can tell you all about because they're best friends and they used to play Dungeons and Dragons together and video games and soccer. I'm sorry, football. Um, and But in the meantime, we're going to go into depths. How do you form leaders during times of chaos? So Rabbi Durbin, can you, can you please just give a little intro to our fantabulous guest who flew in from New York? Yeah, yeah. Look, I'm I'm real excited. I don't know if we played Dungeons and Dragons. I mean, we certainly did, uh, you know, roller skating. Uh, but it is my great pleasure uh, today to to welcome a um, uh, uh, superb guest, uh, Rabbi Andrew Goodman. Yay! Uh, yay! So Rabbi Goodman is the director of uh, student support for the Office of the Provost at Hebrew Union College, Jewish Institute of Religion in New York City. He also serves as the Dean of Students uh, of the New York campus. Uh, Rabbi Goodman originally hails from Western Connecticut. He uh, did his undergraduate studies at University of Michigan, studying psychology and English with extensive coursework towards teaching uh, for a teaching certificate. He was ordained at Hebrew Union College in 2008. Uh, during his time at HUC, Rabbi Goodman, primary, his primary focus was on pastoral counseling spending three summers as a chaplain candidate for the United States Navy Chaplaincy Corps and two years working with homebound seniors in New York City. Uh, following ordination, Rabbi Goodman served as the rabbi of Temple Beth Israel in Plattsburgh, New York, near very close to the Canadian border. Um, and in 2011, Rabbi Goodman joined the office of the chaplaincy at the University of Richmond in Richmond, Virginia as their first director of Jewish life and campus rabbi, and was later appointed as the first director 
of the religious social responsibility. In 2016, Rabbi Goodman returned back to Hebrew Union College as a member of the recruitment team. He serves as the Associate Director of the Office of Recruitment and Admissions and later as Associate Director of Recruitment for the, yeah, for the students on the New York. You wanna give a social security number at this point? I can do that. Um, he lives in Westchester County, New York, and he is the proud, very proud father of twin six-year-old boys. Oh my gosh, I didn't know that. So Rabbi Goodman, it is a honor and a pleasure to welcome you to our program today. Thank you so much for having me. It is nice to have a respite from the kiddos for a little bit, um, and it is an honor to be with y'all. Oh my gosh. That's so good. You said y'all. So now that we're talking accents today, are you, do you originally hail from the South? No, but I did live there for about six years, and I appreciate having a second person plural pronoun. Absolutely. I just find it frustrating that we don't have a, a, you know, a good one. So y'all works for me. It does. Yeah. When you're from the North, I'll say that I'm in Florida and uh, I, I had a call out in a sermon the other day saying, yes, I'm saying y'all. It's just so much better. It just it yep. makes it a lot easier. Well, man, welcome to the show. And uh, you, you, got your, you got your hands full as every other uh, leader in education right now. How, how are you feeling right about now? Do you, you look good. You don't look exhausted. I was on a clergy call the other day where the, the bishop's representative said, you guys all look exhausted. You look terrible. Uh, but you, my friend, look like you just came off a photo shoot. So, so what, what's your secret here? Um, uh, soft lighting. Um, and <laughs> no, I, I feel very fortunate that I have a lot of support. I think one of the beauties of working at a seminary is that there are many other people who are trained at a seminary and there's just a, an abundance of pastoral care that's going around. And that's been really important for our students. And it's been really important for us that, you know, I think back in June, um, the provost and I were talking about all of the stuff that we had to get done because we were taking a 150 year old institution and converting it into an online institution in the course of a summer. He was like, just remember, this is a marathon. This is not going to be a short process. And so we need to make sure that we're taking care of ourselves. Um, you know, it's the oxygen mask metaphor. So I, and I will say as an aside, it is very generous. I, I often look how I feel. I feel tired, but I appreciate that you're saying that. Um, no, so uh, we are, we're doing great. You know, I think in general, I have found that the students <clears throat> have sort of eased in. We understand that this is our new normal, at least for the next semester, uh, forever, how long. I think originally there was a lot of acute trauma, a lot of acute anxiety, um, uh, people's mental health problems manifested in ways that it hadn't before, as well as other, you know, like migraines and other issues that they just hadn't seen before just because they were living on screen for 15 hours a day between coursework. Uh, homework and then actual field work. So, Andrew, um, how does it work? You know, just for our listeners who may, may yeah. not be familiar, right? I'm, I'm Hebrew Union College. The, the the program is a five year, very intensive program where first year is uh, mandatory that you uh, spend your year in Jerusalem. Um, has that has that changed this year? I mean, have we said to our students? there is no need to go to Israel at this point. We will do things virtually and at some later point, 
uh, to welcome students back? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. So we really, um, again, we had to pivot. I mean, over the course of a weekend, um, we had to pivot everything. And immediately, I would say it was April 1st. So after the initial shock, April 1st, we convened all these committees. And one of them was looking at curricular development, uh, cur curricular delivery. And one of those curricular delivery questions was, how do we meet, our, meet what we have promised our students in different systems? And for Israel, we weren't going to send people to Israel only to sit inside of an apartment. That, there's a level of cruelty there of like saying you have to go away from your family to a foreign land that you can't enjoy. Um, and I'm really glad we did, even though Israel had some um, relative openings, they did have another lockdown and, and it just didn't make sense. Mm -hmm. So we pivoted, we were able to focus on Hebrew. A big focus of being in Israel for the first year is development of the Hebrew language in an immersive way. Um, we were able to partner with the Middlebury Institute um, that as part of Middlebury College, it's a you know world famous language immersive language program, and we were able to partner with them, and they helped us do months of online Hebrew intensive study to help our students get what they need, and some of the pieces that are unique to being in Israel, we will we will get. Uh, it's still to be determined when and how. It obviously won't be the first year because we're almost done with it, but sometime we will get our students over to Israel, and as soon as it's safe to send our students back. We will continue with having the first year in Israel. Um, and that's, I think, been a real model of ours is that student safety and health first, of course. And then how do we, how do we uh, stay adaptable to make sure that we are meeting our goal and our mission mm -hmm. given the unique circumstances? And I love that because that actually is replicated on the curricular level and the co-curricular level of how we're training our students to be adaptive in just the fact that you can't control the world. So how we're training our students to meet the, the chaos and crises and the realities out there with the same level of you know, flexibility and um, uh, grace. I think that's great that you, you're saying what you're learning right now and how you're learning to pivot is just incredible. Uh, it's a credible lesson for what real life is gonna be like as a clergy person, mm -hmm. uh, because you're gonna have to constantly pivot. You have to be responding to world events. You will wake up one Thursday morning or Thursday evening, realize you have to completely rewrite your sermon or throw it out because of something that happened. You can't just, even though you spent all week long preparing for it or there's a death that happens. So it, it sounds like you're, you're, you have a, uh, you're a very joyful spirit. And so I think that you lead with opportunity, not with despair. So you're looking at things. What I'm hearing from you is what, what's the opportunity in all this? And yeah. sure, we can go through a list of despair and be like, oh, this stinks, blah, blah, blah. Where, where, where's all the opportunity? So can you tell us more about some other things that have come up uh, either since D-Day and when we everything shut down yeah. or even before then that where you've been like, this is, yes, on the outside, really rough. This has been a, a real hard carry for everyone. Yeah. However, we wouldn't have been able to know or experience blank. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's great that you pick up on that. I'm a self-proclaimed Pollyanna, which is totally before my time. Um, but, uh, you know, there's just the sense that obviously transitions and challenges come with fear and gloom and loss, but there's also uh, new opportunities that come with it. So you're absolutely right. So we did lose the ability to see each other in person, to pray in a sort of 
synchronous, everyone uses their voice together way. Uh, we can be synchronous, but not share our voices or do other things. So there are definitely a lot of losses. Here are some of the benefits. We were able to capitalize on Zoom technology and actually use and um, encourage students to take advantage of faculty members on the different campuses. We have four campuses, okay. New York, Los Angeles, Cincinnati, Jerusalem. And usually you're really only able to take classes with the local faculty. Um, all of a sudden, you got to you know, learn from that brilliant philosopher in LA. Um, and so that was a real opportunity. And additionally, part of the office of, or as the director of student support, part of how we were trying to support our students um, in professional, emotional, psychosocial, uh, professional ways, um, we realized that there were also a lot of opportunities to dig into some of some of the crises that were emerging and actually use them as case studies. So what does it mean to be uh, responsive to your own needs while you are also um, needing to be responsive to others? What does it mean when you have to put on your own oxygen mask while also making sure that you are there to, to um, minister to others? And that it, it's easy to, to talk about in the comfort of a, of an armchair, but actually to live that and to have uh, fantastic faculty members come in and help our students understand their own experiences. Um, the other thing that we were able to do was we were able to acknowledge the way that technology has changed the landscape of the professional world. And so we were able to say, yeah, you have to lead services online for the coming year or for the foreseeable future. And that's likely not gonna change you know, we're gonna have to develop those skills. So let's lean into that. Like, let's think about what does ritual that it has been so dependent on 10 people being together and a book, how do we sort of keep that and also adapt? Um, same thing with leading meetings and leading education and doing pastoral counseling. All of these things we have been used to doing in a bricks and mortar in-person way. And we use this as an opportunity to say, you're going to have to do it. So let's learn, right? Let's 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 use this as a great case study. Do you think that that, that ever does this ever come up? And this is just through my Christian lens. So and and I and I'm I'm going to preface this by saying you two gentlemen understand Hebrew scripture ten times better than me. Uh, but that when the Babylonian captivity happens, that it's like the, it's the worst thing in the world's going to happen. It seems like the Davidic line is over, and we just then then the destruction of the temple, all this stuff is just horrible stuff. But what happens in Babylon is essential, is essential. This idea of like, is that, correct me if I'm wrong, where the synagogue system comes from, this idea of finding God without the temple, that there's a, a spiritual formation that happens in Babylon that wouldn't have happened if everything would have been just nice and easy back in Jerusalem. That from what I understand it, and, and, and if you go with me on this, I'm, I'm, so maybe I might be off here historically and theologically, but if we can go with that, that there's something happened in Babylon that was important for this development formation of the relationship between uh, Israelites and with God, um, that even in the midst of that darkness, that God was, and I'm not saying God caused the, I mean, well, God did cause the captivity, I guess, because he allowed it to happen, but that, that this idea that God is always trying to teach us and form us into something bigger and better. And I'm wondering if we're in our, I'm not going to compare where we're at this pandemic to the Babylonian captivity, but that we're in a state of darkness, we're in a state of isolation, uh, we're closed up in ways that 
I'm not saying God caused the pandemic, but God is always working. He's always making lemonade. <laughs> and so out of the lemons that we're given. And so we're going to be, this is not to minimize the people who have died, not to minimize people going through horrible sickness, the, the overloaded ICUs, I mean, all the financial crisis, but that there are going to be great uh, uh, lessons taught to us as, as a human race. Um, and I don't know, does that, does, that, does that come up at all in how we process this pastorally, but even theologically? Um, and from a formation wise inside the seminary? Yeah, I mean, it's a really interesting question. I think, you know, theologically, it's a very hard question, right? The, the question of theodicy, how, how do we understand bad things that happen? Um, I remember early on in the pandemic, there were a lot of people warning against making Jobian parallels to mm -hmm. the pandemic. Um, mm -hmm. With that being said, I think what you're bringing up for me, and this is my penchant towards the social sciences is um, <clears throat> I think the human condition is one where we are trying to find order in chaos. Uh, actually, earlier today, we had a senior deliver his senior sermon, um, obviously on Zoom, and that's its own, you know, a pivot, but a senior who delivered his senior sermon and the idea of wanting to hold on to things is a form of idolatry and understanding that water flows, time flows, and there's, some, there's only so much that we can control. Once you embrace that, it actually is, there's something very holy about being, being in the unknown. And so I think the human desire is to understand and make meaning out of chaos. And so mm -hmm. I don't, I don't want to, I, I don't want to take away your theological read. I think it's, it's, it's healthy. Uh, for me, I want to say, I, I think that things happen and the divinity that I see is the humans being able to make meaning out of it, to continue to adapt and support one another. And then to say, you know what, all is not lost. We are still alive. You know, those who are able to be alive, we are still together and the, the millennia old tradition hasn't left. And so, the, um, you know, in a tradition that is predicated on adaptation, right, all the way from Moses delegating 70 elders to say, it is in your hands, we have to figure out and interpret this Torah that was given to us. We are, and then the entire rabbinic tradition, we are a tradition of adaptation. And, and I think that this is just very much in line with that of we are in a new technological reality and we get to lean into that truth. And there's, a, like I said before, there's a lot of pain and loss um, and very real pain and loss, right? Not just, not just emotional, but the loss of lives and finances and all of the strain. And there's also new opportunities and, and the new realities. And I'm a big believer that, you know, change is a really healthy thing. It can be a very, very healthy, a very, you know, the ability to, to renew the ability to, um, you know, realign what we actually stand for and have clarity on our, our sense of mission and call in the world. I mean, these are all things that I think can be very, you know, again, I'm a, I'm a Pollyanna, right? But these are the things that I think can be very illustrative to what it actually means for us to be connected to. Would you say your <laughs> colleagues are in line with you and, or are you kind of, are you the number one Pollyanna at your Pollyannic voice at your uh, at, at, at the college or or are there students also to a lot of the students who are still being like 
are, are not in agreement. Like they're kind of still in the mourning phase or still struggling with this. And they just want it all go back to normal. Or is it more, is it more everyone more like you? We're just like, this is great. This is exciting because that's more the culture of your school. Yeah. So, yeah. So first of all, I want to just name the neologism Pollyannic beautiful. I'm going to, I think we should submit that to Webster. Um, I I think that I am much more on the optimism side of things, um, but the realism has caught up, right? Initially, there was so much mourning and so much loss and so much uh, acute crisis. But I think people understand that now this is what happens, right? This is where we're at. And so the ability to accept that um, and, and to deal with it, I think has caught on. Uh, the beginning of the fall semester was rough. Um, the, I mean, May, uh, April, May was really hard. The beginning of the fall semester was rough, but I think now we're in a different place where people are really accepting this. And I will say that this is aligned with theories of mourning, right? You have to go through your own mourning process. And the students have to deal with the fact that there was there were students who were in their fourth year and they got to lead the Purim play on campus and they left class that day and they will never be back on campus with their cohort again. They, they will have 15 months elapse and they will be ordained and never see their cohort together. There was a lot of grief that came with that. And at the same time, you know, 10 and a half months in, there's the understanding, right? And I think there was a lot of anger and realizing what you can be angry at and realizing that it's just sometimes healthy or comforting to be angry at someone, even though you know they didn't cause the pandemic. Um, but I think there's been a really healthy dose of acceptance, which- How does the, how does the college- how does the college address that? I mean, you know, on the one end, it's it's we understand that the situation's out there. I mean, look, uh, you know, uh, you and I, we both went through rabbinical school. I could only imagine my fourth year and never seeing my colleagues again. I reserved that right after I finished rabbinical school to never see my colleagues again. Um, um, but you know, they're just that 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 pull between you know an institution that says we are part of a community and serving community. And yet that's been severed in some way because of uh, international challenge. Yeah, so I think this is again, how we are able to frame our mission, right? So again, like having student health first, it, it, it takes out some of that ambiguity, right? That there is loss for sure. And people understand that the loss is because we care about human life. And that as a real centering of that Jewish value um, made some of that easy. The other piece is that while we acknowledge the loss in our immediate community, we also did a lot to help support them in providing the comfort that they saw or that they needed and help them sort of reflect on what other people might need. So I think, so you're absolutely right, that there is a lot of loss. And instead of, you know, we did do some indulging of letting them be in that. And we did a lot of space holding and, you know, open, open counseling and, and, but really what it came down to was we said, this is the time where people are seeking community. This is a time where people are looking for comfort, for spiritual meaning, for that, you know, all of the all of the comfort that comes from familiar rituals. You can do that. And that was a really, I think, an important opportunity to harness um, I think some of why they got into the why they started uh, at um, you know, being a Jewish professional in the first place. 
and we were able to tap into that and really tap into the need. So, um, and it, it hasn't always been easy for sure. Yeah. We're going to continue on in the second half, but first we have to take a break because there's some people who keep the lights on here. It's important to hear their voices. Uh, but when we come back, uh, we want to hear about um, some of these. You know, I'm curious also, too, since we have all these different uh, institutions of formation on, I want to know how you can describe just the identity and the culture. What makes uh, your uh, institution different from, let's say, last week that we had from Reverend Deborah? Um, and so over at, what was the name of the school? Leo Beck College. From Leo Beck, right? Someone here is a priest and unaware of Jewish institutions. Okay. So Leo Beck, so what makes you guys different? Because I know the tension that happens between various, and the healthy tension, between uh -huh. various Christian seminaries, especially just Episcopal seminaries. Uh -huh. These people are the old school ones. These people are the evangelical ones. These people are just like way so liberal, they're probably Unitarian ones, right? So all that stuff. So let's let's get into that first to kick that off. And then how does that affect you to deal with the big problems that are rising up in, in, our, in our country right now? We'll be right back here on A Priest and a Rabbi. You're listening to a Priest and a Rabbi podcast. If you haven't done so yet, make sure to subscribe and please leave a rating and a review. Five-star rating and a positive review if you can. We certainly appreciate it. That is the best way to make sure that others out there just like you can find this podcast. If you want to get in contact with Father Christian and Rabbi Durbin, you can do so by emailing a priest and a rabbi at gmail.com. And the absolute best way to get a hold of the fellas is to call into the radio show. This podcast airs live on the radio every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. on WSTU 1450. And you can listen live online at WSTU1450.com. And if you want to join the show, you can call in to 772-220-9788. That's 772-220-WSTU. Hey, everyone. This is Father Christian here on A Priest and a Rabbi. So happy for you to be here on this podcast with us. And I want to let you know that I have started a YouTube channel called Your Favorite Christian. And you can check it out on YouTube. And uh, every Monday, I drop a new episode. And it's always through the lens of faith, but taking on different topics such as dating, relationships, marriage, pop culture. Uh, I've done one recently where I went out to the art show and talked about how do we find our relationship with God through all the what all the latest artists are doing. Um, last week was what do women really want um, in a man uh, and interviewing different people to be a part of that. So uh, please check that out on YouTube. Subscribe, like, share, uh, put on the notifications so you get that every Monday. Um, I also want to let you know of uh, we this podcast wouldn't be here if it wasn't for a generous donor from St. Mary's Episcopal Church who wishes to remain anonymous. All he asked, though, was that um, the information gets out that St. Mary's Episcopal Church here in Stewart has a healing center. And so you can call if you're looking for a counselor, someone to be there for you during a challenging time, and you can call the church at 772-287-3244. We also have a group of Stephen ministers who have been trained over 50 hours of training to be with you and walk with you during a time of crisis. They are not counselors. They are trained just to be more of the presence 
um, of, of Christ or and, and walk with you during a time of crisis, whether it's a, a good crisis of having, oh my gosh, my daughter's about to get married, or if there's something a little bit heavier. So give us a call, 772-287-3244, and I thank that anonymous donor who uh, makes this all possible. All right, God bless you, and enjoy the rest of the podcast. Back, Stewart, Florida. It is well. Today is two rabbis and a priest. Uh, we are thrilled uh, and and just overjoyed to welcome uh, Rabbi Andrew Goodman here from Hebrew Union College Jewish Institute of Religion in New York City. Um, I should also mention, uh, as just a quick aside, that Rabbi Goodman also has um, uh, just so much beyond professionally to offer. He also, for those that may have seen the show with Jamie Fox a few years ago. Uh, Beat Shazam, uh, Rabbi Goodman, and uh, and and our friend and colleague Rabbi Josh Strom uh, uh, beat uh, beat Shazam. Uh, they beat the the program uh, a few years ago uh, for 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 music, uh, and it's just it's great to have you. It's great to have you. Wait, so hold up, as I throw a fry in my mouth. You beat the actual app when you played the music, and the app tells you what song it is. You were faster than the app. Yep. So the the premise of the game show is it's sort of like name that tune, except they use the actual tracks as opposed to, you know, whatever, like the old orchestra that they used to play. And um, the initial round is you're competing against other teams. And then the final round is you compete against. And so you have to name songs within three, four seconds. And I didn't we didn't do perfect. I didn't get the country song. Um, and I'm all right with that, but we did very, very well. And I think we were the second highest winners of our season. What was the song uh, you won on? Um, uh, the song we won on, The Double or Nothing, was Christina Aguilera's Ain't No Other Man. And that will be a song that will be forever a warm spot in my heart. Hmm. And was it a cash award? Yeah, it was a, like a stupid amount of money. Um, Shut up. Yeah, I mean, it was a lot of money for being able to like identify a Sheryl Crow song. Here's $25,000. So we ended up walking away before tax. <laughs> uh, the two of us walked away uh, with a total of $320,000. Now we split that and then the government took a whole chunk of it, but it was still, again, a stupid amount. So let's, let's, let's be honest. So did that go towards the twins' college education or for the remodeling of your living room? Uh, so I did, in fact, get to purchase a home and then also, you know, uh, made investments in the college fund, uh, made some uh, donations to uh, our alma mater to make sure that we're paying it forward in terms of scholarships for future Jewish professionals. Well, God bless you. Look at that, everyone. Come on. He's got to model it if he's going to teach it. So that's great. That's right. There's so many questions I want to ask you about all that, but I realize that's not what our show's about. But this is just fascinating about the Shazam show. Did you just randomly show up on that, or like? Or... Yeah, I mean, I was. I, so I used to do recruitment, and I was traveling all the time, and I was stuck on a delay on the floor of National Airport in D.C. And I like an ad for game show casting came up on my Instagram, and I was like, I can do that. I know music, and so I just made a video while I was sitting on the floor of the airport and I threw it out there into the ether. And three months later, I got a call and it was ridiculous and fantastic. That's God. That's God, everyone. Go do more game shows. You'll find more of God.
I don't know if that's true. All right. So uh, let me ask you a question. In the Episcopal Church, you know, we had VTS on here, Virginia Theological Seminary. Now, VTS is was formed six years after General Theological Seminary. I don't know if you know General. That's the Episcopal Seminary that's out in, in New York. And um, so, so General's got this culture of just being very Anglo-Catholic, traditionalist, highly liturgical, lots of smells and bells um, in their liturgy. So VTS was made like, I don't, they don't know if they'll admit this, was made kind of as a reaction to that. So we were more the evangelically-based, word-based group, and we're a little more loosey-goosey um, with, we're not as highly, we're not as Anglo-Catholic when it comes to our liturgy, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a fun, healthy tension there where we make fun of each other. So tell me just real quickly for all the rest of us who are not familiar yeah. with what's going on in the, in the, in the, can I call it your institution? Can I call it a seminary or only a college? So we have, we end up having six programs, six schools. Two of them are clergy formation programs. And those are very much situated in a, like a seminary style clergy formation. Uh, we have a school of education. We have a school of nonprofit management. We have a graduate school, which confers masters and PhDs. And then we have a doctorate of ministry program in interfaith pastoral counseling. So we definitely have the seminary aspect and it's more prominent in our clergy track. But um, we have, we, we like to say we're a tripartite institution where it is a graduate school where we have rigorous graduate education um, with fantastic PhDs. We have seminary education and we also have professional education. And so we're a professional school, a seminary, a graduate school, and, and take the balance of those three very seriously. Okay. That's the answer to, to the sort of cycle. I like it. I like it. Who, now, who's your biggest competition? Who is like when you guys look on the wall and you throw the dart, who are you throwing that dart at? I mean, we're, all just, we're just playing around here, but come on. Yeah, yeah. So we, um, uh, we understand the, the Jewish seminary space. Um, you, have to, you have to understand two things. First is denominationalism. And I'm sure in the last couple of years, denominationalism has come up, but we are a reform seminary rooted in reform ideology. It was actually the first modern denomination. Um, and that started in Cincinnati, Ohio, of all places, um, in the 1870s. Um, that was where the home of reform Jewish seminary training happened in the U.S. Since then, there were other denominations that opened schools. The truth is they're not really competition per se because they're different denominational approaches um, and the ritual and philosophy differs. Um, so that's one way of, of, of saying that. So in the reform world. And in the, so in the reform world, um, there are some non-denominational or post-denominational spaces that in theory you know, people can play with because we also know that identity categories matter and also there's some ferocity there. And so people don't have to box themselves in or out anywhere. But within the progressive space, there are other, there are um, seminaries that are rooted in these denominations. Um, the major difference between, let's say, Leo Beck, Abraham Geiger, which is a, con which is a college in, um, or a seminary in, in Germany, um, HUC, which is based in North America, is I think the outlook and, and to whom uh, we, we are, uh, are sending our students. So HUC is unapologetically North American in its disposition. There are, in fact, students who go back to Canada, um, 
uh, from whence they came and students who also um, go come from out of the out of the continent and come to North America and people who come and go to Africa, Australia, whatever, but um, for the most part, we're focused in North America. And I would say, and Matt, you can tell me that I'm right, is we're also very much focused in uh, the United States. Uh, it's not limited, but it's definitely focused in the United States. Well, why are you the best and everyone else thinks? Why are we the best and everyone else thinks? So we're the oldest in North America. We're big, we have four campuses. And I also think that, um, the reform ideology, the reform philosophy that actually started the movement was an unapologetic exploration of, of reason and study. And so we care about tradition, we care about God, and we care about um, academic rigor. And so in both cases, we're able to say, we care that historically men have been rabbis. And we care about egalitarianism and we can't just say like, who cares? Like, we're just going to let that dissonance sit there. We try really hard to grapple with that. And I think there's a level of authenticity that's always spoken to me. And there are people for whom it really resonates. And there's also, it's why it's good. It's why it's good that there are other schools out there because we don't have to be everything. You guys are like the Jewish version of Episcopalianism. I mean, I like to think that Episcopalians are the... Christian version of reformed Jews, but I'll, I'll give it. I think, to I think I think you got that. I think I think history would definitely align the line. Yeah. No, I've about, always found a lot of affinity with my Episcopalian. Friends. Oh, cool. Hey, man. I, I think it's also important to, to recognize as well that that you know with the with the creation of Hebrew Union College back in you know what 1875, that you you have you have a core understanding of the setting up of an institution based on the time itself. When you look at Leo Beck. Yeah, out of London. I mean, the college was founded in 1956. I mean, it wasn't 1856, 1956, through, you know, the guise of Rabbi Leo Beck uh, and certainly um, um, Rabbi Vanderzil, who created this, this institution when the doors were closed in Bratislava and the doors were closed by the Nazis in Germany, right? So it was a different, it was a different model that was being, being used and being implored. I mean, look, you know, theologically, I think that as one who had the opportunity to uh to you know to do my final year with with you know with andrew with you and certainly at huc you know look our text doesn't change whether whatever country we're in our theology doesn't really change although in britain we're really focused in on both the the more mazorti side the more traditional side conservative side reform side but ultimately our training is all the same except for leo beck the training obviously was very euro-centered based on those communities in Europe that did, you know, needed support, needed, needed, you know, um, um, assistance in some way. Um, you know, as one whose wife has gone through the same program on the New York campus, um, you know, are there similarities in our programs? Absolutely. I mean, do the two colleges talk to one another? Absolutely. Um, you know, I think it's just a different, it's a different frame, a different focus. Yeah, I one think thing you... I will, oh, sorry. One thing I'll say too, is that a pride of ours is that uh, the training, and I think at any good school, the pride is the training should give the professional um, the ability to actually be successful in a variety of uh, places, right? So I was planning on going into the Navy Chaplain Corps. I worked at a small congregation, um, north, like just 20 miles south of Canada. I worked in a college setting, um, you know, so 
and my training allowed me that flexibility. So I think while the differences matter between the schools, ultimately, I, I believe the schools should be hoping that we have students that are, when they are ordained, will be able to be flexible and agile to meet the, the changing needs of our religious landscape. You know, it's because, because, you know, um, um, your degree, my degree, I mean, it says the same thing on our walls that say, Rav Umorebi Israel, that we are rabbi and teacher in Israel. And I think that there's, there's something there that really, really, uh, you know, brings it together that, you know, it's non-denominational in some, in some degree or fashion, that it, it really is about, about training. I guess one of the questions I had um, was also when you look at, at, at our institutions, when we, when, we, when we think about the training and the ability to inspire, and given the situation we're in now, has the college had conversations in terms of, um, I know when I was in rabbinical school, one of the challenges was there was only one track for rabbis. You enter into a program, you serve congregational life, you know, the, the opportunity to serve institutions or organizations, chaplaincy i mean that was it was it was almost the beginning part of of expanding i don't know where hc is yet with it uh, i don't know where leo beck is i think it, it's slow and incremental but being able to say to our students look when you enter into this program you're not fast tracked or or slow tracked whatever it may be to, to only only see it one way to serve congregations that you also have the ability to serve community in whatever you know, facet that looks like. Yeah, that's a really important point. Um, and as someone who never wanted to serve a pulpit, I did for two years. And I would say objectively, I did well, but it wasn't my calling. Um, uh, as someone who never wanted to do that, that was always a frustration of mine, that I felt like I had to fight for other legitimate paths within the rabbinate. Um, it has been changing. Part of it is the recruitment team has taken on a very serious uh, approach of trying to validate and elevate other paths of meaningful of meaningful call. Um, and then the other piece, and I, I think it's important, I mean, there's a whole bunch of context that I don't want to give, but I think in 2008, in the economic crash, we found a lot of colleagues who weren't retiring because their pensions disappeared, and uh, there was a lot of economic uncertainty. We had fewer positions opening, and we had amazingly, you know, capable, trained professionals being ordained. And so what that ended up doing was we had to broaden our understanding of what, the, what meaningful work in the field was so that we didn't say, you either get the one pulpit that's available or you are, like, so I think part of it was a, forced us to say, you know what? teaching in a variety of capacities is actually core of rabbinic understanding and let's like let's celebrate that and organizational support and pastoral support and all of the different pieces that we actually do care about let's actually um support those career paths so that is very much uh that that i think 2008 opened those doors and fortunately they haven't closed there is still a majority of our students who choose to go into pulpit work. And so there is still going to be some natural push in that direction. 
but it's not myopic in the way I think it used to be. Mm -hmm. The other thing just to name is sociologically, when we're looking at millennials and young millennials and likely Gen Z, is the idea of being in a career or one type of facet of a career for 50, 60 years, that's not kind of what the, the data is showing us. And so what I love about the rabbinate and what I think, um, again, and a, a qualified Jewish professional has the ability to work in a pulpit for a couple of years, work in a Hillel for a couple of years, work in an educational institution, work in an organization, right? Do a lot of different things because, like you just said, our training is broad and um, our mandate is broad and we have the ability to sort of fit into different uh, parts of our passion. Um, so I, I am encouraged in the direction we're going. And I will say that currently, I mean, we the, the economy is not great, right? Nonprofits took a real hit and are taking a real hit because of the pandemic. And we don't have that same sense of like, well, our students, if they don't get a pulpit, then what good are they, right? We're, we're seeing that there's a lot of need out there. Um, and I think is the last 11 months have shown us how how broad that need is and also how broad um, meaningful Jewish con connection can be. Has the, student, the type of student changed over the last couple of years that you've seen? I don't know how long you've been in your position, but if you noticed, I mean, you might have already just, just answered that a little bit, but if you could just expound on that, how you felt that I know one one thing you said is that they're they're they might not just so be so singular focus saying I'm just going to be uh, uh, at a pulpit. Uh, I could do many different things, yeah. uh, but even something as simple as yeah, they're they're much more digitally aware and innovative, so they can grasp the the new things. Or um, have you noticed that just a change in age? Have you noticed a change in just simple things like they you know these 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 new upcoming students seem to have a lot more hope than previous ones, or or a lack of hope, or yeah. more fear because anti-Semitism has been on the rise, or at least been given permission to be revealed recently. So, yeah, I mean, I think some demographics haven't really shifted. Uh, overall, the average age hasn't really changed. Um, we usually have a small percentage, like 25%, 30% that come in within a year or two of undergrad. But in general, people are taking, you know, four to, uh, people are starting on average at about 27 years old in the Okay, wow, that's on average. Um, yeah, I mean, my data set is not current, but that had for a long time been, um, that for a long time had been the case. So you don't so get a lot of second and third career folks. You, the majority yeah. of your folks are, fresh young bucks who are ready to just jump in. Yeah, and they, they come in, um, you know, maybe four or five years in nonprofit or in Jewish work, community organizing work, whatever it is, they come in having a little bit of experience under their belt and a better sense of their own path. Um, so that we haven't really seen change. Um, I would say the changes that I've seen are, there is more diversity represented within our school than has been. It's still not as diverse as the Jewish community in North America. Um, there, the percentage, and there's debate about what's the actual percentage, but Jews of color, um, there have been, you know, data has pointed anywhere from, you know, nine or eight or nine percent to 15 percent in the United States, but we don't have that, but we are seeing more Jews of color that feel like they are able to come to seminary um, 
we are seeing more and more, uh, we've had LGBTQ Jews for a long time, but more uh, trans and gender non-binary students coming in. Um, a lot of students with disabilities who maybe didn't get the support that they needed prior, but are now getting that support. So we're seeing more diversity in that, which is fantastic. One of the biggest changes that I see that I'm really excited about is, uh, it's not less hope, I think it's more realism, right? In the wake of 2008, there's a lack of trust of institutions, right? The idea of like, banks, trust banks, right? That doesn't exist anymore, right? And the idea of, you know, everything's gonna work out well, like that, that didn't pan out, right? So I think again, 2008 was a big turning point. And so young millennials and Gen Z are coming in with a much more sense of realism and wanting transparency, which I'm fine with. And there's also a real sense of like clarity on what they wanna be doing because people aren't just taking on five-year programs for their own sake, right? People are really have an idea of how they wanna be serving. The other thing I will say is um, their, Let me just make sure I'm saying this right. There is a desire to integrate integrate the world, right? So we're we're dealing with digital natives. So there's a desire to respect the tradition and make sure that they are giving and putting forward what they grew up with, the sense of um, the comfort and the power of the tradition, but also taking the world as they know it and not being scared to, to bring that to bear. So um, we've had people use technology for years now um, in how they have thought about and delivered, um, how they've thought about and delivered Judaism. And I think it, why I'm less worried about the, the Zoom pivot that has happened over the last 11 months is that I think our students, our younger students and our, our I mean, not younger in terms of overall age, but our newer students have been aware that Jewish community has existed in a lot of new platforms. Um, there is a colleague of ours who was ordained a couple of years ago. He ended up getting a micro grant to start a Jewish community through the through the gay hookup app Grinder, and he was able to see that people were using that app actually not to hook up but to find community. Mm-hmm. That especially in more traditional settings. Jewish men couldn't be out in their congregations. So they were finding it through other, you know, with other uh, gay Jews. And so to be able to leverage that technology to support community building is really powerful, right? So I'm, I'm encouraged, a perpetual optimist, but I am encouraged because I do see this as a lot of opportunity the need for community, the need for ritual, the need for spiritual sucker is not leaving. And we have a lot of really innovative brains and we're training them, I, I hope, to, to do that, to bring this, um, to bring this new Judaism um, or at least new platforms for old Judaism out there. And, and, and I, I think that that's going to, to have some real legs and I think that's gonna be around for a long time. Well, Andrew, we're teaching them to be adaptable and they'll adapt to the new, to the new whatever. So if someone like Rabbi Durbin wanted to follow your thoughts and learn more about you, I know we could always go to the website for Hebrew Union College, but do you personally have any socials that you like to share? Maybe you don't, maybe you don't want to share them, which I totally get. 
like Twitter. I do want to share them. I just don't have them. Um, uh, to the music knowledge, I used to uh, have a Twitter account that just told you all the random songs that got stuck in my brain. Wasn't a very good follow. I'm not, and I think that that has been deactivated deactivated, but I don't really have that. I would encourage people to follow Hebrew Union College on, on Instagram and on Facebook. Uh, there, we highlight what alumni are doing, what our students are doing, some of the pieces from our 150-year-old uh, history, and really trying to highlight the diversity and the excitement of the Jewish professional landscape right now. Jane, can, can, I, can I, uh, an Episcopal priest like me take classes and actually get a degree at your place too? Yeah, you can. We have a lot of non-Jews who are taking classes in our School of Graduate Studies. Um, we have non-Jews who are taking classes um, in our School of, Ju of nonprofit, Jewish Nonprofit Management. It's Jewish values to do nonprofit management. You don't have to be, you know, in Jewish nonprofits. And then our Doctorate of Ministry in Interfaith Pastoral Counseling. It is people of all different religious traditions learning how to bring their spiritual truths into pastoral counseling. Um, and we usually have some Catholics, some Episcopalians, some uh, some Jews, all studying and learning together. So yeah, we, we're at a place that has been built on Jewish pluralism and a religious diversity. Um, and I think, again, that's part of, the, part of the beauty of the Institute. Awesome. Andrew, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much for being a friend of Rabbi Durbin. He needs more good friends like you who are optimists and healthy and have better hair than him. We're grateful to you, my brother, and we hope to talk to you real soon, man. You get back on this show, all right? Thank you both so much. Take care. Stay healthy healthy, and safe, okay? All right. God bless you. Go kiss those twins for us. Peace.